0: Singe, singe, zinga. You're listening to Zinga Network at zinganetwork.com.
1: Hi, and welcome to Business or Pleasure. This is Susanna Gabrielli. And this is Cleo Constantine. And today we're going to talk about consent and boundaries, specifically within Berlin club culture. I don't know how familiar you are with Berlin, um, whoever's listening to this, but both of us live here. Neither of us are from here. We both moved to Berlin in the last couple of years. And Berlin kind of has this big reputation as um, being a party city and also a sexual destination. I think a mayor of Berlin famously said Berlin is poor but sexy. It actually is the on, one of the only cities I think to bring down the uh, country's uh, national GDP. <laughs> is it? It is, yes. Um, but yeah, it kind of has this like reputation within Europe as being this kind of like edgy cool city you know it's got just like this history of being like really punk and um you know after like the wall came down in 89 just these like alternative artistic bohemian communities really took root um I think that's kind of characteristic of any society that kind of has like a an oppressive regime kind of end it goes through this kind of cultural revolution and kind of has this like Uh, edgy moment where artists and bohemians are really kind of like at
0: the forefront.
1: Um, So
0: yeah, that's Berlin. It's definitely like a very... Very much a gay capital of Europe as well. Definitely, yeah. But dominated by masculine gay men. Yes,
1: it has a very like masculine energy, which is something that we both experience. Struggle um, with. And struggle with, yeah. You know, it has this big party culture, but I would say that the party culture is very masculine or really kind of like uplifts and... Um, celebrates. Celebrates masculinity and gay masculinity dating back from like the 80s. Mm. Still has dark room
0: culture where
1: gay men can go and have anonymous sex.
0: I think this is something that when I talk about clubbing culture in Berlin to people outside of Berlin that they're often quite shocked by that just a normal techno club will almost always have a room for people to go and fuck in. Mm. And that's I think fucking and partying and clubbing like fucking just goes hand in hand in Berlin with clubbing. It's
1: definitely a sexual destination. I would say Montreal also is a sexual destination. It's got like a high volume of massage parlors, strip clubs, all of these things, you know, and it's it's kind of like uh, the more alternative part of Canada. But Berlin is really, I think, like dating back from the 80s, has this reputation of being the kink capital of the world, yeah. as we were saying. Like really, I don't know where else in the world is more kinky or has this reputation of um, being able to satisfy like, any kink that you could imagine, really.
0: Yeah, and also in Berlin, there is always going to be a party that is dedicated to any fetish that you can imagine, really. Like, Lab, I think, famously, which is the sex club uh, attached to the iconic famous strip, uh, famous club, uh, Bergen, mm-hmm. uh has, you know... Deep kink parties. Deep kink parties, yes, including poo, you know, (laughs) anything. Yeah, and, you know, there's Kit Kat Club, which is this
1: famous huge sexy swingers club that has, um, like, lots of BDSM nights. And, yeah, just, like, sex and swinger clubs kind of everywhere. And people really come to party in Berlin. People come to Berlin because it is, like, a sexual destination. And, you know, something I would say, you know, we both moved to Berlin. And I wouldn't say I moved, you know particularly for the sex parties, but I did move here kind of for the, like, edgy, open-minded attitudes uh, of people here. What Like, how about you? Why did you move to Berlin?
0: I was really sick of living in uh, the Southern Hemisphere. I wanted to move to Europe, and I was dating a European, um, and I asked him – where where would you move in Europe? And he said, oh, you should move to Berlin. It's the coolest city in Europe. Mm. And I hadn't even been here before, but I, I ended up moving here just because I wanted to be somewhere free and open-minded. Mm. And it uh, kind of delivered, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, likewise,
1: I was living in Barcelona and um, both my parents are Europe- European and... Um, Yeah, I found Barcelona actually to be quite conservative or more conservative than I would like. And I visited Berlin just on an off chance and just on kind of like a a gender level, even. I found like I had a shaved head at the time. I just felt so comfortable and I felt like people kind of knew what I was about here and accepted me. And um, yeah, I think that's what's special about Berlin is it really does have this kind of alternative core, to it
0: I find it interesting that you say that on a gender level you found you felt comfortable here because I'm definitely more feminine presenting I would say and uh, I've never really felt completely comfortable or welcome in Berlin compared to um, other cities I definitely have this feeling like the fact that I even look like a feminine woman, is, is not particularly welcome or celebrated. Yeah,
1: that's true. I think it was particularly because I had this kind of gender dissonance in my look at the time when I first moved here. Um, that I felt comfortable expressing that, that I f- didn't feel like I had to look like a traditionally feminine, you know, high femme person in order to be taken seriously. Like that's how I felt in Spain.
0: and yet, I feel I have to make myself look more masculine in Berlin to be yes. accepted. Mm,
1: funny how that works. Um, and now, of course, I look much more feminine and am more frustrated with the prioritization of masculine. Aesthetic in Berlin. I'm definitely more frustrated with it now. But when I first moved here, I thought it was great.
0: And I think this ties into door selection policies because uh, that looking uh, masculine regardless of your gender or your sex just looking masculine will definitely give you way more of a chance of getting into the club and so let's talk about the door policy like there is
1: this kind of special thing in berlin where there's this big party culture and everyone comes for these um legendary three-day parties that just don't end you know parties can go on for one day two day and just you know there's like a lot of drug use and it's just real kind of libertine. um,
0: I think a lot of people call it Never Neverland.
1: Yeah, partying. Um, But there is kind of this strict door policy where most of the bigger clubs do have somebody at the door allowing people in or not. And it's one of the only places in the world, I would say, where you look like a fancy person who has money or just kind of like you know, heteronormative, like maintaining your gender roles Mm -hmm. (laughs) as, you know, the the same gender you were born in, you're less likely to get into the club. I think they really do prioritize, they do definitely prioritize masculinity, Mm -hmm. gay masculinity, and um, looking like a local and looking alternative. If you're wearing, you know, um, what's an example, like Like, Lacoste.
0: Yeah, if you're wearing... a Lacoste, you're not going to get in. If you wore a Lacoste uh, polo shirt or... Nice khaki pants, nice
1: shoes, you're probably not going to get into Berkheim.
0: Yeah, you're more likely to get in if you're wearing torn black clothes mm-hmm. and have a neck tattoo. Yes. And definitely... Uh, like me. <laughs> If you're presenting more masculine, uh, you're definitely much more welcome. Mm -hmm, Yeah. We both live in Berlin and we've
1: really been discussing and talking about how we wanted to roast Berlin, club culture, actually. And this is why we're doing this episode. We've been wanting to do this for a long time because it really is so ridiculous here um, how much of a sex destination it is. And yet how little attention and effort is going into consent and the safety of especially more feminine members um, at these parties.
0: I mean, it's, it's rape culture, essentially. Yes,
1: we found that there is kind of like a production of rape culture in Berlin club environments, which is ironic considering they're kind of posited as being these spaces of sexual positivity and being really like forward thinking and free, you know? And this is what we wanted to draw attention to, that often in these spaces where people are thought to be so free and just, you know, having multiple sexual partners and really owning their sexuality, that there is a danger of the same rape culture being reproduced. But actually, in like more convoluted way, it can be sometimes hidden, you know. Mm. Um, so we wanted to talk about that a little bit. We've both had bad experiences actually within club culture, and we both noticed that the fact that we are sex workers has really kind of shielded us from um, having more bad experiences. Right. So we wanted to talk about our perspective as sex workers and how that actually helps us navigate. This club culture dynamics, these kind of
0: sexual spaces um, that people find themselves in here. I mean, first off, when you go to a club in Berlin, you're usually going to have to line up for a little while. You get eyed up by a bouncer who's going to suss out if you're cool. And I don't mean that cool as in uh that you're all right more or less in do you look like a cool person mm. do you have the right clothes on are you a local are you a regular do you know which dj's are playing mm. and they'll ask you questions at the door they'll say
1: do you know what's going on here if it's a if it's a gay party for example and like let's get real the gay parties in berlin are kind of the best, the most like legendary. You don't really even have to be gay to really enjoy them. It's just that they tend to have the best music. They tend to book the best DJs. And yeah, so they'll ask you, you know, do you know what goes on here? Do you know the DJ that's playing? Sometimes they'll test just to see if you speak German. They'll ask you questions sometimes at the door. And something that we noticed or that we would change if we could, if we had the power to, is that we thought, why aren't they asking about consent at the door? Mm. Like, why, don't, why aren't they asking, you know, men, like, do you know what consent is? You know, what are your intentions at this party? Mm. Things like this. Because, Explain your concept of consent to us. Or, you know, yeah, what are you here for? Mm. Because the fact is that uh, so many people, I think, do have their boundaries crossed or are vulnerable in these parties where people are taking lots of drugs and really, like, losing themselves... Um, for many hours, and meanwhile, there is a huge demographic of people who are going to this party to get laid.
0: I think the the important thing to note about the about the dynamic of club culture in Berlin specifically is that the drugs are so cheap, which means the parties are extremely drug fueled. Yeah. It's not really an alcohol space. Not to say that alcohol is like. Less problematic, it's not. But these are extremely drug fueled parties, and you can show up with uh fifty euros and completely lose yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you can't do in any city in the world. And as you know, when you have a lot of men taking drugs in a in a space, you have a lot of women taking drugs in a space as well. It does create a dynamic where, you know, a predatory dynamic, quite Mm. frankly.
1: We find that the politics here in the club scene are definitely off. There is kind of this attitude that political correctness may, like, ruin the party. And we've noticed that things that are acceptable here in Europe... Um, would not be acceptable in other cities, you know, like I have the experience of of living in Montreal and there's a lot of conversations there in kind of queer communities and like communities of young people about like racism, for example. Whereas in Berlin, there's a lot of racial appropriation, I think that happens here. Like the scene, the club scene is very white often. And, um, you know, we heard this crazy story about this party, um, this sex party that was geisha themed, yeah. Where all the women had to dress up like geishas? I was invited to that party, you, actually. Yeah. And the yeah. men had to dress up like, what, soldiers or, or something? white people? I don't know. I don't know. So problematic. And just things that we hear about, whereas, like, you know, if there was actually, like, a strong discourse, I think, of people of color here, like, these things would not.
0: Especially, I think, that with that party, the geisha party, it was a BDSM club, so it's, like, very racialized BDSM dynamic. And I think race play is, is a separate issue to discuss. But to cast... An entire race of people as a submissive in is is very problematic. Deeply
1: problematic. Yeah. And you know, like the rules are very lax in these parties. There are security, of course, at the door. People check for drugs, you know, kind of loosely, casually. I think
0: in certain clubs they'll they'll check you quite thoroughly. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. they're searching for uh GHB or GBL. Yes. And um, we've discussed that in these circumstances where they're searching you for GHB or GBL, I mean, my introduction to those drugs was that they are date rape drugs, and that is how most people know those drugs. But mainly when they're searching you for these drugs, they're not searching you because they're afraid you're going to spike someone's drink and rape them. They are searching you because they don't want to have the responsibility of taking care of you if you pass out or overdose. Mm, And that's a problem. We find that there is
1: security. They do care about you bringing drugs into the club, although once you're in the club, that's a different story. But there is an absence of security caring, caring about sexual assault assault Mm. and there's just no one really upholding that discourse which is why we wanted to do it in this podcast like who is caring about the sexual assault that happens in Berlin club culture
0: I don't really see a conversation being had about safety in the club scene there's certainly a constant conversation happening in Berlin about sex positivity Mm. but not safety Mm. and I think that that really also comes down to like we were saying just before The notion that, like, politics ruins the party. Like, that's not sexy. That's not fun to talk about. Like, let's talk about sex positivity. Let's talk about fisting. Let's talk about pissing. Like, yay, like, fun, fun. Like, we're free. But... How free can you be when you're not safe? Exactly. Yeah, we've both
1: unfortunately had negative experiences. Do you want to talk about that one you had recently?
0: Yes. (laughs) Should we name the party? What do you think? Why not? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I was at a very famous, iconic uh, Berlin sex party or sex positive party, shall we say, that is called House of Red Doors. And I was at the party until quite late. I was sitting outside, relaxing in the sunshine. That gives you an idea of how late I was there. And uh, I looked over and I saw a young woman who was by herself and she was um, very close to being unconscious. So I went over to her. um, I had her come sit with me and we were just sitting there quietly, you know, relaxing. I was, you know, smoking a cigarette, had my eye on her. She was very out of it she could barely speak Mm -hmm. and I was trying to give her water here and there but otherwise we were just sitting and relaxing then a man walked over to us and he started talking to her and she like barely even had her eyes open and he was like down on his knees like looking up to her trying to talk to her. And I just turned to him and I said, Hey, like, can you please just um, leave her alone? She's not in a good space right now. And he just turned around and turned extremely nasty towards me and was like, excuse me, mind your own business. I'm trying to have a conversation here. And I said to him, like, she's not okay. Leave her alone. Like, please go. And he started turning really aggressive to me and shouting at me and telling me to like mind my own business. He's not doing anything wrong. He's just trying to have a conversation. And, uh, I, I, raised my voice and I said, what do I have to do to make you fuck off? Do I have to call security? And then at that point when I said security, someone turned around uh, to me and said, okay, what's going on here? And I said, this guy won't like leave us alone. And this person said to him, look, like respect what what she said, like leave them alone. And the guy kicked up more of a fuss and eventually left. This is often the case that I find that men only listen to other men. But um, so this man walked off and then the man that helped me turned to me and said, oh, that was a bit of a white girl thing to do, wasn't it? Like, oh, like security, security, and started mocking me and said, uh, you know, what? why don't you deal with it yourself? And at that point, I realized that this person was working for the party and I said to him, I don't. I have no idea why you're making like why you're being like this. This girl is in a was was almost passed out. She's not in a space to be able to talk and this man is is coming up to her and God knows what his intentions are. And this man kind of continued saying that sometimes women make things up. And exaggerate. Disgusting. Yeah. And I I said to him, I was like, look, I'm really tired right now. Could you please leave me alone? I'm not interested in having this conversation. And then he tried to keep sort of continuing this conversation. And then eventually he left when he realized like I wasn't responding anymore. I found that experience, even talking about it right now was really upsetting for me. Um, And I just thought to myself, like how easily that moment could have gone really badly.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: Like this woman was barely conscious. And if he had just sort of taken her hand and walked her to the bathroom or something like that, or God knows what, you know? And the fact that I felt that some really conducive environment for sexual assault extremely this party house
1: of red doors which you know we also have both attended and i also had a terrible experience there just so many men touching me without my consent to the point where i would have to literally take their hands off of me you know i would be sometimes dancing with you i remember and men would just see that as an invitation to touch my body as if you know like i'm doing it for their for their pleasure and i think this is what happens when you have men in a space that is sexually charged who've taken drugs who gone to this party specifically in hopes that they are going to get lucky that night and then have their boundaries blurred. And what what is in place? What kind of things are in place to protect women at these parties? Nothing.
0: I remember at the party that, that we're talking about here was the time where um, a man uh, grabbed my ass while I was in the bathroom and then mumbled, sorry. And he very intentional, like this was no accidental brush. It was a full on grope and he just mumbled, sorry. So obviously he mumbled knew. Mumbled, sorry, after you yelled at him or before? Before. So obviously he knew he had done something wrong. So I was like, I basically tore off his balls and made my friends join in as well. And I said to him, I'm talking figuratively, not literally, obviously. <laughs> I needed to, to correct that. Um, I told him like, you know what, you can't do that. That's not okay. How dare you? Like, et cetera. And he just was like, oh, sorry, it was an accident. And I was like, it wasn't an accident. The fact that you said sorry afterwards means you know what you did. And um, he ended up sort of sauntering off with his, you know, tail between his legs but he ended up uh, sort of smirking at me continuously throughout the night, and sort of looking at me and laughing and taunting me. And um, there was nothing I could do. I didn't know who I was supposed to turn to to help me with this. It was never explained to me. People have said to me, "Why didn't you go see a bar, a member of the staff at the bar?" The bar was always full. Um it's not the bartender's job to deal with this. There was just no one to turn to to help me and I felt completely alone in this experience and um there was nothing explained to me when I when I entered the club, you know, if anything and it's happens. a huge party. I mean, I don't usually attend this party. I kind of did it as a
1: one-off event and it was Massive. I mean, so many. How many people do you think were there? Like a thousand. Yeah, a thousand at least. And this was a traumatic experience for me. I am not used to being groped constantly without my consent. I'm not used to making half a second of accidental eye contact with a man on the dance floor, and then in a matter of a couple seconds, he's behind me, literally touching my body. And yet, this is kind of par for the course in like Berlin club culture. Like people bear in
0: mind listening to this that this is sexual assault. This is cr- this is a criminal act uh, Taylor Swift as Taylor Swift took Someone to court for something exactly of this nature. Mm. It's sexual assault. Yes. And that's kind of what we want to get at with this episode is that why
1: are the consequences of rape not real at these parties, you know, in like these kind of sexual destination places that are posited as so free, open minded, edgy, libertine? Why are like femmes and women and vulnerable people like suffering in these spaces? I
0: don't feel that I can express my sexuality positively in a space where I'm constantly avoiding rape and sexual assault. It's just that simple. These parties, when, when sexual assault happens, like
1: literally, you know, you the situation you described, I would say that you prevented a moment of sexual assault quite tangibly. However, generally, people are not thrown out at these parties. Like the police are not called despite rape being a criminal act. They're not even throwing people out at these parties. And this is what we want to like draw attention to.
0: The police should be called when yes. something like this happens. The person at the very least needs to be taken by security and the police called.
1: And like we were discussing, like the cornerstone of sex positivity should be safety. But Berlin and Berlin club culture is anything but safe. And, you know, we would like to call out these parties and say, you know, what safety measures are in place? Like, what are you doing for people who experience assaults? Like, what are the consequences? Because the reality is for most women, yeah, you're not safe. You're you're actually a sitting duck. You're just, the, the chances of you getting assaulted are high.
0: So when mean, think about it, that when you're coming to a sex party or a party at all in Berlin. Think from the perspective of a woman or a feminine presenting person. You are going to line up for hours, have bouncers decide whether you look cool or not. Already you're on the back foot because you're feminine that you're not really welcome in this space. You go in, consent has not been explained to anyone going in, and once you're in, you have no one to turn to for help, It's not explained who you should turn to if anything happens. And this is rife. This is endemic. And I think a lot of people... Um, might say like, hello, this is a sex party. Like, what are you expecting? And to that I say, absolutely not. Just because you're in a highly charged sexual environment does not mean that it is a rape party. Regardless of whether you're
1: wearing a fishnet bodysuit or anything at all, nothing you wear, like none of your behaviors is inviting sexual assault. And I think this is a conversation that's kind of happening in society more and more. Like we saw the Brett Kavanaugh case. People are starting to take sexual assault seriously, finally, in society. And yet for I think for both of us, both of us have been deeply concerned with sexual assault and boundaries as kind of a consequence of our work. Mm -hmm. And we are waiting
0: for the rest of the world to catch up really. Exactly. I think that People are constantly assuming that sex workers are abused all the time and I'm here to say that because I'm a sex worker my standards are so high like definitely if um anyone uh says or does anything that I didn't that wasn't part of the agreement they're going to probably get kicked out and I'm going to keep their money definitely we are not like, personally, I'll speak for myself. I am not
1: used to being groped against my consent. And I do have the confidence to tell men no. And yes, you know, it's a result of work that maybe I have gained that consequent that that confidence, sorry. Um, you know, that if something happens that I don't like or that I'm not comfortable with, I will say something. However, not every woman has that capacity or training or is aware or feels empowered enough to literally take men's
0: hands off of them at parties. And even still with the, the man that I you know yelled at for groping me, he still continued to taunt me throughout the rest of the party and look at me and, and laugh. And what more could I have done in that situation aside from take out like what take him outside and beat him out mm. beat him up outside the fucking back alley like no it's not my style mm-hmm. and as well with the bouncer who told me to to deal with it myself I was like what does that even mean mm. do you mean just like put up with it mm-hmm. or do you mean like what more could I have done there mm-hmm. it is absolutely security's job to remove people who are behaving in an antisocial and threatening way and um, I think that uh, racism was absolutely weaponized against me in that situation and I think that as a woman in a sex party, I think that my safety should be the priority here, mm. the safety of myself and another party goer. Mm. I mean, the thing is, is that I feel this isn't even a consideration for, for bouncers here and there are so few uh, women working in security.
1: Mm, true. Yeah I recently had a negative experience back in the spring I attended a party and got a little bit wavy and you know kind of was like having a sexual exchange with a man and he tried to have sex with me without a condom in a bathroom stall and I was quite intoxicated however still I am not prepared to have sex with a man without a condom in a bathroom stall under no, like no circumstances. And regardless of how intoxicated I was, that was a very clear boundary for me. And I told him no. Mm -hmm. And after I told him no, three times, he actually tried three times to fuck me without a condom quite physically. Like, you know, like brought out his dick and was trying to fuck me without a condom. And I kept saying no, 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 no. And I mean, I know I was intoxicated because I wasn't, angry. Normally that instance would incite like huge rage in me, but I just kind of kept saying, "No, no, no." And then he left, and then only later I was like, "Wow, that was really messed up." And actually, if I had, you know, been somebody else who wasn't, you know, didn't have my whole profession and livelihood being, you know, dependent on my sexuality, then like maybe I wouldn't have had the power to say no in that situation. And a couple of weeks ago, I attended another party and I saw him there and I was familiar with the security guard that was working. So I asked the security guard to throw him out and he did. However, I'm so conscious of the fact that I was so lucky in that instance. It is so vulnerable. And, you know, even as empowered and confident as I am, I did feel vulnerable telling a security guard, another man that, you know, I was borderline assaulted by this guy or that I felt like he had malicious attentions. There is such a vulnerability vulnerability, you know, you have to trust that a man is going to take you seriously in that instance. And God forbid, like say, you know, oh, like you're making it up or not believe you like that is so triggering for a woman, you know, to hear to not be believed when she's talking about protecting herself against sexual assault. So, you know, I really do think it was so fortunate that this guy believed me and thanked me and said, thank you for telling me. And I think we just think that that should be you know, normal in Berlin club culture, but unfortunately it's the exception.
0: I think that myself as well, I often have this feeling of fear that I'm a feminine woman in a, in a, in a space where my presence is barely even desired. Mm. So if I was to approach a security guard and tell them what had happened to me or, or whatever that I have a feeling about something or whatever it may be, that it only sort of solidifies in their mind this feeling like having women in these spaces is a liability. We should not let women in because they're like vulnerable. Did you want to talk
1: about, you said you had that positive experience in Ah, New Zealand.
0: Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I went to a festival called, well, let's just say it was the regional Burning Man event in New Zealand. (laughs) I don't want to say what it was called. I want to like You know, y'all can Google it if you really want to know. (laughs) So I went to this festival and every single, I think there were roughly, I think there was roughly like 1,500 people there. Every single car that drove through, uh, there was a welcome station with some tents and they would make everybody who was attending the festival get out of their car and enter into a tent, a consent tent, and they had the rules of the festival printed on the on some paper that was stuck with sticky tape to the to the wall of the tent and you had to lie on your back and look up and the person would read out all of the rules with you and then at the end they would say do you have any questions about what i've You know, explain to you, and you'd say yes or no, and if you didn't, they would explain it to you, and then you were allowed into the festival. And also in the festival, they had uh, what they call these black sheep – I don't know, black sheep monitors or whatever. Basically, there were people walking around with very visible vests on that if – they were keeping an eye on everyone, especially women. So if there was anyone who was sitting by themselves or looked upset or looked like they'd taken too many drugs – they would come to you, ask you if you're okay. If you needed help, they would take you to a tent where you could relax and recover from whatever you had taken. And um, if anybody was behaving Badly, they were taken away and removed and kicked out of the festival. Mm. Uh, I just think this was an example of consent done well because...
1: Proactive.
0: Proactive. Like, the fact that the rules were explained to everyone before they enter, the fact that that people had this language and framework of consent to operate under, and and also, of course, knowing that there were people that you could turn to. And I also felt when I was there that party goers were looking out for each other very much. And this was a very free sexuality event. Like people were walking around naked. You know, people were having sex out in the open. Similar to Berlin, but, you know, safe. And as a woman, I felt welcome there, you know. Mm. And the fact that... This just isn't – I mean, when I went to House of Red Doors, um, the time – another time recently I actually went for a work booking and uh, printed on pieces of paper um, at House of Red Doors all over the walls were just the words, consent is sexy. And I found this really –
1: Patronizing, inappropriate
0: (laughs) – pathetic
1: pathetic yeah yeah
0: yeah uh first off consent is not sexy i mean it can be it's mandatory consent is mandatory why are we
1: trying to like twist consent into this like fun flattering things what for like men's egos if it's sexy
0: will you not rape me basically no no like i don't like that saying consent is sexy i think again it ties into this whole idea of like Let's not harsh the vibe of the party and make sure that uh, politics are sexy or we won't talk about it. It
1: trivializes consent. It
0: absolutely does. Secondly, I think putting signs up that say consent is sexy is a token gesture. It doesn't keep anyone safe.
1: It's showmanship. Yeah. It shows. It's it's, it's performative. It's
0: used as a, yeah, it's a
1: performative tool to show, oh, you know, we take... We take consent seriously at this party when it's like, no, there's actually no real tangible boundaries in place to protect vulnerable members. I
0: would not have gone to that party if I was not there for work. Um, I don't plan to ever go to that party again. I did um, contact one of the organizers and tell them my experience at House of Red Doors um, previously, and I felt that they absolutely didn't take what I said seriously. They said that they should have a conversation with this staff member. That was all they said. In my opinion, that person should not be working at those parties anymore because they absolutely don't understand um, their role mm. and the significance of their role. Mm. And uh, then the, one of the organisers um, asked me, did you have a good time aside from that? And I I didn't reply to them because to me, like, I just can't, uh, you know, aside from that uh, narrowly avoided uh, sexual assault that you almost um, witnessed, did you have a good time? Like, no, after being shamed by a a member of staff for so, for yeah. trying to get help, do I did I have a good time? Yeah, it's because men don't understand. Often men don't understand. Sorry, that is not
1: a blanket statement. There are many men who don't understand actually like what sexual assault feels like and like how scary it is and how vulnerable you actually are. That's not to say, though, that men don't experience sexual assault. And I do think it is a huge problem in Berlin within gay communities that more vulnerable and feminine often men actually do, you know, suffer the consequences of like a very um, younger men too. younger men. Yeah. Of a very kind of like hands on. Um, cruisy, aggressive sexual environment. Mm. Definitely. Mm. Um, So, you know, what we kind of wanted to put out there is that femmes, whether they are, you know, cis women or gay men or people who are more like vulnerable, younger... Um, they need to be prioritized in these sex positivity spaces. Like, Mm -hmm. sex positivity is a farce, like, when you recognize that actually the world has not caught up and actually, like, women are so much more vulnerable of having sex without a condom. Like, the consequences for women are just so much more than they are for men. You have to deal with the possibility of pregnancy. You're at a higher risk of contracting... um, Many STIs. Many STIs. And, you know, like reproductive rights, like, you know, birth control is not free in, in Germany, you know, women have to already bear the consequences of protecting their sexual health. So, you know, to tell women like, you know, go be sluts, do whatever you want, like have this, women should be able to go out to parties and be able to have sex and
0: hook up and... Be safe, but that's actually not the reality. And I think uh, another point is like in Germany or Berlin specifically, the healthcare system here is, is <laughs> it doesn't uh, accommodate for the risks that are associated with this. For example, it is so hard to get an appointment at a sexual health clinic if you're a woman, full stop. If you're not a gay man,
1: it's it's almost impossible to get an instantaneous appointment. You have to always make an appointment and wait for weeks. Whereas if you're a gay man, there a gay man, there are a number of
0: clinics that you can go to on the spot and get tested on the for same free. day. If you want to go to a private doctor to get an STD test, the price is so high. And many clinics will not see you unless you're showing symptoms. And most STDs that affect women do not show symptoms.
1: We've both had terrible experiences in the healthcare system in Germany and I've gotten so frustrated to the point of almost tears with healthcare providers and said, you know, why? You know, it's 2018, like men who have sex with men also have sex with women all the time. That's reality. We see it even in work, you know, all the time. We know for a fact. And yet the same resources that are available to came to gay men are not available to women and that is so unacceptable women should be able to take care of their sexual health you know i've even had a, a healthcare provider tell me like you know oh you need to take responsibility äh uh, <laughs> uh, you know take responsibility for your actions and i was like that's what I'm doing. I'm here right now trying to get tested, you know, and they're telling they were basically shaming me about certain sexual practices or, you know, I was just pointing out that there should be more of like an availability for women to get tested because, you know, especially sex workers need to get tested often and are not always participating in the most safest practices. They get pressured often by clients to engage in unsafe practices. And this healthcare provider told me, well, you need to take responsibility for yourself. And I was like, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get tested. However, it's, you know, it's very difficult here. And that is a huge problem with Germany.
0: So I think what we want to see in the Berlin club scene is the... To prioritize femmes in your sex positive spaces. Mm. You know, prioritize our needs. Wouldn't it be nice if us as sex workers were kind of
1: treated as like... You know, these like knowledgeable sources that could actually give like advice and you know valuable input into these like club communities, honestly, because I do feel like being a sex worker has aided both of us so much in being empowered, you know, women who really harness our sexuality and make decisions um that are advantageous, you know, to us. And you know, we have each other to kind of bounce back upon. And I really think, yeah, like we do, you know, we kind of came up with these notes that we would like to see happen in club culture, which is, um, yeah, what are a couple things we came up with?
0: don't look for people who are more intoxicated than you to have sex with because that's predatory and have less boundaries.
1: Yeah. And that if you see that kind of behavior in a club, that it should be sussed out and punished, that you should be thrown out, that there should be active people, you know, walking around looking and keeping an eye out for predatory behavior.
0: Mm, Because the fact is, is that people are sexually assaulted at these parties all the time. This isn't a rare occurrence.
1: And if you have a problem using substances and keeping your hands to yourself, don't use substances. It's very simple. Like if you can't, you know, not assault someone or kind of, you know, push those boundaries because you've taken drugs or consumed alcohol, don't do it. Uh,
0: next we'd say is ask before you touch and don't touch someone if you haven't spoken. So groping someone as they walk through a crowd, never okay. And if you do want to touch someone at all, speak to them first and decide if they are sober enough to have a consensual exchange with you. And use protection,
1: I would say. Even if someone, you know, is... Letting you know, I would say especially like a woman and they're like, you know what, we don't need to use protection. Consider using protection anyway because actually, you know, in a heterosexual dynamic, the power is slanted so much in the man's favor, uh, you know, in
0: unsafe sex. So just use protection. And furthermore, like just consider that it is also your body and like um, actually men can catch STDs too. Yes. Surprise, surprise. For
1: some reason, they're not often worried about it, but... Actually, it's a reality, and you should be concerned about your sexual health.
0: Mm. So, um, hey, my DMs are open to any, like, club, Berlin club organizers. My consultation services are are open to you. Yeah. Um, not for free, actually, though. Yeah, we'll <laughs> but I did just though. give you a little freebie there of a few suggestions. Mm, yeah, we really would like to see the day that
1: sex workers' voices are taken seriously and um, kind of – Yeah, just valued as knowledgeable. You know, we are kind of like sex experts and we're horrified when we see sexual assault go down in clubs like this and we see people trying to kind of navigate their sexuality and like try to navigate, you know, having multiple sexual partners and, you know, um, really defy traditional ways of having sex.
0: It's currently... People need help. It's currently not possible in this uh, this paradigm. It just means a patriarchy will reproduce itself exactly. in a new environment.
1: Women and femmes are often the losers in these dynamics, you know, which is unfortunate because women have the right to and should be able to have casual sex if and when they want to. However, The way that we've seen it go down in Berlin in our local community is not right and it takes advantage of women and femmes and that's something that we would like to see change. Absolutely what a powerful ending. (laughs) Yeah so that was something we wanted to get off our chests for a long time and yeah we would love to continue having this conversation about club culture and about boundaries and consent so um, definitely, our DMs are open to speaking about that. You can find us on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is at Zuzu Gabrielli, and it's at Z U Z
0: U G A B R I E L L I. And mine is at Cleo Constantine. That's at C L E O C O N S T A N T I N E. And Yeah, I guess on a final note, don't be
1: afraid to practice consent if and when you can. Really think about it before you're going out. And yeah, just try and look for ways to practice consent and to pay attention to consent. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't be entitled. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Business or Pleasure, edited by Risto Pekarinen, theme music composed by James Troitier, and executive produced by Susie Colic for Zinga Network, S-I-N-G-E-Network.com.